Find a way, bring me back to 
Time that we can come and hear your word. Time that we can come and be together, be encouraged. And Lord, help us tonight to desire to go out and be different and to be an example of what you have done in us today. In your precious name. Well, did you bring a Bible? Say amen. I'm going to invite you to open it with me to 1 Peter as we continue our series of messages when life isn't fair. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 17 through 21 tonight. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 21. I want to encourage you. We had a great morning this morning. I saw some people come to Christ as well as some people join our fellowship. So we rejoice in those decisions and uh, pray that God will continue to use our fellowship to reach people with the gospel. But 1 Peter chapter 1, you can just stand up where you are and uh, we will read this scripture together beginning in verse 17. You got it there in front of you? Say yes. And the Bible says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are redeemed with not with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you'd speak once again clearly to our hearts. Continue to train us, Lord, by the Spirit and through the Word to undergo suffering well, that it may honor you, that you might do a work of grace in us, and then do a ministry of grace through us. And God, I'm confident once again that there are trials that are taking place in the lives of every person in here. And so God, from students all the way to adults. We want to make sure we suffer well. So give us wisdom through this scripture and teach us more so how we can better honor you during our time of stay here on earth. And we'll give you glory for it. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, when life isn't fair, how do you know if you're suffering through a trial well? You know, we've learned so far through 1 Peter that God has not forgotten you when you go through a trial, that God has not given up on you. In fact, God is to be our delight. And in order to suffer well, we must get the right perspective. We've got to get hope. We talked about this last Sunday. We've got to get holy. But tonight what I want to do is really take a moment and do a little introspection. All right, so this message may be a little different than what you have heard me preach in the past so far. You don't have many to compare to, but uh, anyway, it will be a little bit different because what I really want to do is give you a couple of questions tonight that you need to ask yourself individually as a result of your suffering. And really and truly, the deal is this. All of us want to suffer well, and I just prayed about it, but we want God to do a work in us so that he can do a work through us. So we want to suffer properly, we want to suffer godly, but I believe there are a couple of questions that kind of come out of this text as I was studying that you need to ask yourself concerning your trial. So right now I want you to think about the trial that you are currently facing, all right? So you get that trial in your brain tonight, put it in your mind, and now let's ask a couple of questions about the trial. Question number one is this, 
Is my conduct in this trial reflecting my heavenly Father? All right, let me ask the question again. And uh, this is what you ask yourself, this is what I'm asking myself. Is my conduct in this trial reflecting my heavenly Father? Now, notice in your Bible again, verse 17. The Bible says, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, the idea of addressing the Father speaks of actually praying to the Father for help. Now, remember context. Peter is writing to those who are suffering unjustly as followers of Jesus. They've lost everything. They've been scattered all over the place. Peter initially states, if you're going to call on the Father for help, remember that he is the ultimate judge. God sees and he hears everything. And so he reminds us that our Father will judge impartially according to each one's work. Now, it is true that God will judge the Christian according to his service to the Lord, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 3. However, here I believe Peter has in mind the idea of the final judgment of unbelievers. He has just told us that when we face trials, we are not to live like we used to live. Rather, we are to suffer well so that God can do a work in us and then do a work through us. And the way that we suffer in a trial can point to God who we call Father, or the way that you and I suffer in a trial could give a bad review or report of God the Father. Since we represent God the Father on earth, we must represent him rightly to a lost world. Now, you guys know I have four children, seven, five, three, and one. If you haven't been praying for me, start, all right? So we've got all these kids, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Sometimes we'll go to someone's house, or maybe we're hanging out with them, and before we get out of the van, I'll turn around and say, all right, kids, let me get your attention. And they all kind of look at me and say, now, we're fixing to go inside this house. First of all, you need to act like you got some sense. Can I get a witness? But anyway, act like you got some sense. And, and sometimes I even throw this in, and remember that you're a skipper, which really doesn't mean anything, but it just sounds cool, doesn't it? But the deal is this. What I'm saying to my kids is don't go in there and give the skippers a bad name. So here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, all right, guys, let me get your attention, all right? We're fixing to get out of the minivan. We're fixing to go right into the middle of our trial. Here, let me get your attention. Act like you got some sense, and remember you represent God. Make sense? That's what he's telling us to do. Therefore, Peter says, and you can see it there in your Bible again, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, the word fear means terror, means reverence, means respect. We should have such reverence and respect for our Heavenly Father that we would do nothing that would reflect poorly on Him while we are living on this earth. Our behavior in the midst of a trial should not cause people to stumble or keep them from seeing Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. One commentator notes it this way, and I quote, The Christian must always live in the consciousness of the fact that he is being watched by the unsaved. That his responsibility is to bear a clear, ringing, genuine testimony to his God and Savior by the kind of life that he lives. Jesus Christ tells us in Luke chapter 17, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. But he goes further. Woe to him through whom they come. It'd be better for that individual to have a millstone hung around his neck and he'd be thrown into the sea. 
than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, then you forgive him. So Jesus says it would be better off if we were dead than if we were a distraction. <laughs> Y'all still out there? Our conduct during a trial should cause people to be attracted to God, not distracted from God. So what about your trial? Most trials, I have found, happen in the context of relationships. Somebody's treated you unfairly. Someone's treated you poorly. Someone said something about you that is untrue. Perhaps you feel like you've been abandoned in your trial. Everybody's kind of turned their back on you and left. How are you conducting yourself in the midst of this trial that God has allowed to come into your life? Is there bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? Have you completely cut someone off from any relationship? Are you jaded? Is there a desire to get even? You know, sometimes people talk junk about you and you want to talk junk about them. It's the desire to get even. Is there jealousy? This can happen so often, and so often it happens in the context of these relationships. And reality is it can be the relationships in your home. You may be a husband and a wife, and you're here tonight at church, but you've got to rub with one another because of a trial that's going on in the midst of your life. Uh, husband, how are you responding to your wife in the midst of that trial? Are you pointing her to Christ or away from Christ? And I would ask the same of the wife as well. You can have problems at work, same questions. Problems here in the church. Did y'all know that whenever you come to church and get around people, sometimes you rub people the wrong way? Yeah, y'all yeah, should really get down with me on that. You, you, you've realized that, right? When you get people together, personalities begin to clash. Have you seen this before? It is very essential that you and I know that we don't wrestle against people. People are not our problem. We wrestle, the Bible says, against not flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness in wicked places. So what the enemy likes to do is come in here and get you fighting with other people in the context of the church. And the entire time you have bitterness, jealousy, anger, unforgiveness in your heart toward a brother in this fellowship or toward a sister in this fellowship, the enemy's sitting back going, I've got them. His desire is to divide and to conquer. So if you've got a problem with somebody in this house, you need to go to that person and you need to get it right. <laughs> Are y'all still out there? I said, you know, I, I, and I, I, here's the deal. I was ruining uh, my witness as a pastor on one occasion because I did not deal and handle properly a trial that God allowed to come into my life. First guy that I ever served on staff with, uh, came, he was with me for two years, and then he left. Uh, he and I, we'd grown extremely close. He and his wife uh, actually lived right next door to Kristen and I. We were best friends, to say the least, even went on vacation together. And then he got a call from a mega, mega church, and uh, they invited him to come on staff over there, and so he went. It ticked me off. Y'all all right? It really did. I got so mad I could spit bullets. I was angry, to say the least. And I had a hard time looking at him. Y'all out there? I really did. I secretly hoped 
it wouldn't go well with him when he got there. <laughs> That's encouraging. Uh, I, I think when I look back on it, I was just jealous of him, uh, a little angry at him, majorly discouraged because he had done such a phenomenal work uh, with us, and we, I just felt like we were a great team. I felt like I was abandoned, like he had just flat out left me. <laughs> and my attitude stunk. Every time I heard his name, I had a weird little cringe go up my spine. Anybody like that here? Uh, maybe, you know, you hear somebody's name here at church, and all of a sudden you just kind of, oh, boy, don't say his name again. <laughs> it's real spiritual, isn't it? And that's how I was, man. I I was at a conference where he was helping lead worship. Uh, it was actually uh, the men's conference over at First Woodstock. Gives you an idea of where he serves on staff. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. But I was uh, under, under deep, deep conviction. Um, weren't even talking about getting relationships right. I couldn't even worship, man. He was down on the platform helping lead worship. Uh, and I just thought, that's sorry, joker. I can't even, you know, I just couldn't even worship the Lord. I just had a problem, man. Just like a massive wall between me and God. It was because of my attitude. It just stunk. And um, anyway, I just got under deep conviction. And for the first time, I realized I was reacting to this trial in an ungodly manner. And so God convicted me during the invitation. And uh, I was sitting up in the uh, balcony of the church. And if y'all been in the new sanctuary, y'all know where the balcony is. <laughs> and... Uh, God basically told me, you need to go down there and apologize to him. So I thought, that's a long walk, you know, to get all the way down there to apologize. So sure enough, they did the invitation, and, you know, people were going forward, and they were. <laughs> so I, I got up and started walking towards the front of the church. I walked down the escalators, felt like I was at the mall. It was interesting. I come down in, and then I come down the aisle and walk all the way down there. And, you know, everybody else is kneeled down around the platform. And I just walked right up on the platform. He was over playing the piano. And uh, just went down and sat next to him and said, Bro, I, I've asked the Lord to forgive me. And now I've got to ask you to forgive me. I said, I have been so ugly. And I, I shouldn't be acting like that. It's been eating me up this entire weekend. And um, what was interesting is that he basically just embraced me. And I'm not a big fan of hugging men. Or women, unless it's my wife. But anyway, so, uh, you know, I didn't want to give you the wrong impression. But uh, he did. He reached out. He gave me a hug, said he loved me. And, uh, man, we prayed together and sat together. And um, today he serves on the board of First Day Ministry, which I started two years ago. When he found out I was going to launch out into evangelism, he was the first guy to call me and say, where can I give? And so now we talk to each other all the time. Isn't it crazy? Now, I don't know if my attitude toward him was seen by other people or if I caused anyone to stumble during that time. Um, you know, looking back on it, I'd probably say I, I was a pretty poor role model on how to handle people to my wife. But I knew, though, that my major problem was that I wasn't even thinking about whether or not I was causing anyone to stumble. I didn't even enter my brain. Uh, whenever you are seemingly done wrong, and he didn't do me wrong, we've talked, it's all good now, but uh, when you feel like you're done, you've been done wrong or you've been you know, treated unjustly, and I, I remember praying, I remember saying, God, I'm out here serving at this church, and this big church is calling him. That didn't make any sense. 
It's ridiculous. Of course he's going to go. <laughs> and um, so I argued with the Lord about it. But here's what I realized. I realized how overwhelmingly selfish I was. That I felt like everything should revolve around me. All right. And I think that's what happens whenever we face trials. We begin to see us for who we really are. And, and can I just say something? When you see yourself for who you really are, you find out how really ugly you is. <laughs> and that's what I found out. It's like, this is nasty, man. I need to get rid of this. And I, I kind of wish now, looking back on it, that somebody would just come up to me and say, hey, man, I know you're facing trial. Let me ask you this question. Is your conduct reflecting your heavenly father? You know, if they would have asked me during that time, I, without hesitation, I said, absolutely not. And, if, and tonight, if that's your answer, I mean, you're being asked the question, is your conduct reflecting your heavenly father? If you, without hesitation, say, nope, it's not, then you need to do what I did. You need to ask God to forgive you, and you need to go to the person that you got to rub with, and you need to get it straight. And they may be here tonight, I don't know. Best thing you could do before you get in your car today until this evening is just go up to somebody and say, hey, man, I've asked God to forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me. And if they're godly, the way my friend was, they'll say, I forgive you, and I love you. <laughs> well, let me give you the second question. Y'all still out there? I like Sunday nights. Second question. Have you, in the midst of your trial, this is what you asked, in the midst of your trial, have you forgotten the price that was paid so that you could call God your father? Verse 18 and 19. Have you forgotten the price that you uh, have been paid so that you could call God your father? 18 and 19, the Bible says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The only reason we are able to call God our Father is because of Christ's substitutionary death for us on the cross. We were barred from ever speaking to God because of our sin. He is holy and we are not. However, he chose to penalize Jesus for our sin. He shed his blood for our sin so that the gap between us and God the Father might be filled. And as we believe in Christ, place our faith in him, we're given the right to become children of God. The Bible says you're actually adopted into the family whereby now, Romans 8, you're able to call him Abba Father, which Abba just means daddy. Or in a more literal sense, it means dada, which is interesting, isn't it? Marley my youngest is only uh, one and a half, something like that. And, uh, you know, they always learn how to say mama first, which I just don't think is right, all right? I really don't. But now she's learned how to say dad-da. She doesn't say daddy. She just says dad-da. And that's, that's enough. When you got saved, you have now the privilege just to say dad-da, you know? And there are times in your life when you're walking with the Lord and you're in a trial, that's what you need to say. You just need to look to heaven and say, Daddy, I need you. You know, for Christmas this year, um, Maddie wanted a doorbell for her bedroom, which makes absolutely no sense. But anyway, that's what she wanted. And I remember, you know, I like to take them out sometimes individually. And so I took her out and asked her where she wanted to go. 
And it's funny, she, I don't take her here anymore, but I, you know, she likes to go to Cracker Barrel. Are y'all, y'all all right? So I say, Maddie, where do you want to go, baby? Cracker Barrel? I'm like, oh, let's not go to Cracker Barrel again. But anyway, so I asked her this time, and I don't know why I told y'all all that, but um, <laughs> we decided to go to the toy store. So we did, and I was doing it really on purpose because I kind of was trying to figure out what she wanted for Christmas and, you know, helping Krista out a little bit. So we were in the toy store one time. There's a little flower doorbell, and immediately she wanted it for a bedroom. It wasn't but 15 bucks. I thought, that's the greatest Christmas gift I've ever seen. <laughs> so uh, Christmas morning, she opened it up, and there it was, flower doorbell for a room. Boy, she is fired up. You know, the packaging, it bragged on the product for its ability to light up and make noise. <laughs> now, we took it out of the package. We put some batteries in it and pressed the button. And guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. It's supposed to light up, supposed to play a tune. Very disappointing. You know, we lack at it now. And you can, you can say, you know, why was it so disappointing? Here's the reason it was disappointing. Because the doorbell did not perform the function for which it had been pur purchased. The Father has purchased you and I, not with cash, but with the death of Jesus Christ. He purchased us from the slave market of sin, brought us into his family to function as a doorbell, so to speak. When someone pushes our buttons, they should see the light of Christ and hear the word of our Lord. That's what trials are. That's someone or something that's really pushing the buttons in our heart. And the question is, are we performing the function for which we have been purchased? You know what's interesting? You open up a gift and it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. You know what sometimes you'll say? Or they, you know, it's what we say sometimes. Well, good grief, that was a waste of. Y'all fill in the blank there. That was a waste of money um, this is all just for free out of my head but uh, I, I don't want the father to look at me and say man that was a waste of my son's blood let, let me move on look this idea for Jesus Christ to purchase sinners and cause them to be adopted to the family of God was not an afterthought you know what I love about the Bible? It, it, it reminds me that before I had a sin problem, God had a sin solution. Before sin ever even entered, he already had a plan. Verse 20, the Bible says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. See, it was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that causes you and I to have a relationship with God. And it's interesting, again, I'm reading this and studying this, and I'm thinking, why in the world is Peter telling me all of this when he's talking to people who are in trials? What's the deal here? And then it dawns on me again, the question comes, has my trial caused me to forget the gospel? That's a good question for you. The trial you're facing right now, has it totally blinded your eyes from the fact God has given you the gospel and told you to go out with it? Have you forgotten the price that was paid so that you could call God your father? He gave his son's blood so you could say, God, you're my daddy, and I need some help in this trial. Or are you acting totally ungodly, selfish, self-centered, it's all about you? you know. 
you know, trials reveal our spiritual age. <laughs> Y'all still out there? I've never said that before. That makes good sense, though, doesn't it? Trials reveal our spiritual age. That's what it does. Have you forgotten the price that was paid so you could call God the Father? And this is huge. Jim Elliott, you've heard of him, arrived at Ecuador on February 21st, 1952, with the purpose of evangelizing Ecuador's, um, and forgive me on this translation, but I think it's Wadena Indians. Or was that Wauka Indians? I'm just kidding. But. Now, <laughs> y'all quit cutting up. All right, after, <clears throat> after only a very short period of time, Jim Elliott had an opportunity to visit a group of these Indians. He and his companions, they were beside themselves, overwhelmed with excitement because they're going to share the gospel with people who've never heard it before. So they were met as they landed to go share the gospel. They were met by a group of hostile individuals who quickly murdered uh, both Jim Elliott and all of his partners as soon as they came in. I mean, they were just right there in cold blood. His wife, Elizabeth, heard the news and was faced immediately with a phenomenal trial, to say the least. Her husband was trying to follow God's call upon his life, trying to do what the Lord had placed upon his heart, and yet he had been martyred for his faith. If Miss Elliot were here tonight and we could um, interview her in front of everybody, we could ask her, uh, Miss Elliot, um, when you faced that trial, did your conduct reflect the character of God? Now, of course, she grieved over the loss of her husband, but uniquely, when you study her life, you find that she prayed for the salvation of those who murdered him. In fact, she made plans herself to go and take the gospel to them. She lived fully aware that these Indians would one day face God who judges impartially, and these Indians will be cast into the hell unless they hear the good news. So she, with fear and reverence, Concerning the ultimate judgment of God towards unbelievers, she began to express the character of her heavenly Father, forgiveness. Miss Elliot, we're here. We could ask her, Miss Elliot, have you forgotten the price that was paid so that you could call God your Father? Answer, of course not. She knew that the same price that was paid for her sins was also payment for the sins of those who murdered her husband. So she went to them with a heart of compassion and forgiveness, which reflects the character of God. The trial which pushed her button, to say the least, revealed the light of the gospel and the ringing of the truth of God's word. The Indians witnessed her light. They listened to her message, and they were saved. What, what are you facing tonight? I mean, what's, what's the deal? What's happening in your life? What trial are you facing? Who do you got problems with? Ask those questions. In the trial, is my conduct reflecting my father? Hey, in the trial, have I forgotten the price that was paid so that I could call God my father? And whenever we do this, it totally revolutionizes how we look at things going on. And some of us need to ask those questions tonight. Let's, let's bow together. Father.